What is up, fanatics? Welcome to our first installment, first official one. We did a couple of these in the middle of the pandemic, and uh, Bloom and I were just like, oh, this is a really good idea. We should do these sit-down interviews with people that, um, you know, are kind of legends, Iowa State legends. And what is that? Well, that that could be Dan McCarney, uh, like we interviewed. That could be... A guy like uh, Gary Wade, I, I think, is a legend. Uh, the old um, PA guy who retired at the end of last year, right? There, there's all sorts of people that, that go into this that that have had legendary careers who you may not have even heard of. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna start doing that, and I'm looking forward. This is my favorite thing to do is to do sit down interviews uh, with uh, people I admire, and I got to do one of those today here on the really the first ever official Suk Up. Legends Podcast here on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. You've heard us talk about the Sukup Safety Home, which is a shelter made from a grain bin. It's actually being used for housing, medical clinics, orphanages, and developing countries all over the world. It can withstand a Category 4 hurricane. It's 145 miles per hour, folks, of sustained winds. Well, the newest Safety Homes project, uh, it's in Uganda. That's where the the last one that I was told of, at least. Uh, Man, this is so cool. Uh, It's a camp for children who have been separated from their parents while fleeing South Sudan. Uh, It is an incredible thing. Uh, You can learn more at safetyhome.com. Safetyhome.com. I recently got to go up and tour the Sukup Manufacturing Facility in Sheffield. It was fantastic. It was eye-opening just how massive that place is. Uh, Great supporters of what we do. Here at CycloneFanatic.com, the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. Today's podcast, the first Legends podcast, is with a guy who I bet a lot of you have heard of. You've probably not heard from him because he's very much a behind-the-scenes individual. I think he's been very integral to the growth of Iowa State athletics. He is a guy who I have called on a lot over the years when I needed advice uh, from a professional manner, personally as well. He's a man, and we'll talk about this in the podcast, who opened his arms to this young hack blogger back when Cyclone Fanatic, uh, really, it was just a message board, and we were trying to turn it into something bigger. Um, and he he means a lot to me, and he recently announced his retirement. His last day at Iowa State is June 30th. Yes, he is uh, Jamie Pollard's right-hand man. We talk about that, that Pollard doesn't make decisions without going through this man. His name is Steve Malchow, and he's got a fascinating career, may I say legendary career, and he is my guest today on the Cyclone Fanatic podcast. Well, I um, this is a guy who I've told you guys about a lot. I really look up to, respect, admire. Just wanting to get him uncomfortable right now, but I really do, and I, I'm sad to see you go, Steve, but I'm I'm happy for you and your family. How are you today? Doing really good, Chris, other than I'm, I think I'm blushing right now. People, <laughs> people always said I don't hide my emotions real well. Sometimes I, I get but red face. So. You, but you and Jamie, Jamie and I have talked about this a lot, where I was just starting my career right when you guys got here, which it, it kind of just timed out. And you were always really good to me. I don't know why, but you were. You, there were a lot of people who like were a little bit, I felt like afraid of the internet guys. Right. Do, you, do you remember that time? Like I, it, it, you're right. Yeah. Chat rooms were coming around and who are these people and they're not credentialed and they're not real media. Yeah. And this guy's in his basement. Oh yeah. Putting stuff out. Yeah. It was a, 
That was a, f- a transformative time, really. Really, um, it really you, was. You were one of the those pioneers just trying to get your foot in the door that way. But I appreciated loyalty. I appreciated the guy that came to work and wanted to show up to practice and in the press conferences. And that was a statement to me that you cared about the beat. And uh, that's what probably broke the ice a little bit and liked the way you attacked it. Well, thank you, sir. I, I appreciate that. So um, I want to, so in this thing, I just want to talk about your career. Uh, I want to talk about uh, your time at Iowa State and then what's next. And I want, more importantly, I want our, um, I want our audience to get to know you. You've always been a guy, a behind the scenes type guy. Like you're not, we, we've talked about this too. Like there's, there's a couple types of people in this business, like the people who want to be out in front and the, and then the behind the scenes. What, why, was there a point in your career where you, where that's what you knew you wanted to be or walk me, walk me through that. Right. Well, I think, you know, I'm, I'm probably an, uh, an introvert by nature Yeah. Um, until I get to know someone. I'm, I'm far more comfortable off stage. Would rather be the puppet master than the puppet, yeah. I guess. I think part of it is that's my personality, but part of it is too, I've been really blessed in my career to be around a lot of massive personalities. Um, you're talking head coaches, athletics directors, the face of the program, so to speak. And so when I was at Wisconsin as the, as the football SID up there, let's call it like it is when we're walking off the field, Barry Alvarez and myself, no one's just looking at me. (laughs) Um, and so I'm just, I'm, I'm used to being that off the stage guy. I'm more comfortable there. Um, I'm, I'm good in a one-on-one situation, but not so much the front man. And so I've just, I've always been that way. I'm, I'm, I'm a storyteller. Um, I'm not the story. And so even doing interviews like this are a little uncomfortable for me because I'm the guy that tells stories about other people. Yeah. Not, not about myself. Well, we, we've talked about this. Your dad was a sports editor, right? Sports writer at the Sioux City Journal. Okay. Right? So you grew up, you grew up, uh, you were, people always talk about like a coach's son. Oh, we want the quarterback who's the, you were, you're, you were kind of came by all this naturally. Yeah, that's pretty funny when you uh, phrase it that way. I love coaches' kids. Yeah. <laughs> They're, they end up being really heady, they study heady it. players. So you yeah. were probably doing that with media. Well, I, I don't know if I did that as a, as a young kid, but I know this. My dad, if he had a uh, – we lived really close to Sioux City East High School, my alma mater. We lived a block away from the, from the school. And so if my dad had an East game to cover, a basketball game, he may stop home, pick me up, take me to the game. He used to cover Morningside College a lot. I'd occasionally get to go to a game with him and stand there while he interviewed the coach afterwards. And so, yeah, I've been around it some. Um, I got a chance uh, when I was in high school. I was the correspondent for my high school. So I'd call in golf results and track results and was, I guess, kind of an SID in high school in that regard. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so I just, I I have been around it some. Um, I, I guess that was my introduction to it. Um, the acorn didn't fall very far from the tree on this one. Uh, I've always enjoyed sports. I wasn't very good at them. So I had to find a way to be involved and playing them wasn't my expertise. So I ended up writing about them instead and been a labor of love for a lot of years. But yeah, my, my dad probably did introduce me to it just through his work with the Sioux City paper and, and being around it. Um, when I went to school, um, at the university of Iowa, I was looking to, to actually just find a job to make some pizza money for the weekend. Yeah. And I'd never really heard of sports information. My dad was aware of it and said, why don't you go in and, you know, see if you can get a job, you know, work a few hours in sports information. And it's kind of a funny story, but, um, so at my freshman year, I walked into George Wine's office. He was the longtime SID at Iowa. And 
And uh, I said to George, I'd like to work in your office. And he goes, okay, that's interesting. He goes, what year in school are you? And I said, well, I'm going to be a freshman. And he goes, I don't hire freshmen. They don't know anything. Come back in a couple of years. And so I left pretty defeated going, oh, that was a bummer. Mm-hmm. And about two weeks later, it was actually Hayden Fry's first game as, as football coach there. They were playing in Indiana. And the Indiana radio guy needed a spotter, Don Fisher's, the guy's name, Hall of Fame radio guy. And he called George and said, you got any kids that can spot for me? So I, I spotted, you know, did my, my job. And Fish must have said something to George. Hey, this kid is pretty good. So about two weeks later, George called me back and he goes, hey, I got a good report on you. He goes, uh, tell you what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a shot to work in the sports info office. But let me tell you something. I've never hired a freshman. If you screw it up, there won't be another one. <laughs> And I'm like, wow, that's that's pretty heavy duty. Well, I worked there, ended up getting hired full time. That was my first job. But yeah, you eventually took his job. I did. <laughs> well, the the funny part of this whole story is one of um, our eventual students at Iowa after me, and he eventually became my grad assistant at Wisconsin. A, a young man named Bob Begtoll. He's now uh, head of PR for the Chicago White Sox. Bob came in one year to apply for a job with George, and George just asked the penetrating question, "What year in school are you?" And Bob goes, oh, I'm a junior. And George goes, I only hire freshmen. He goes, I need, I need time to train them. So, uh, yeah, because you don't want to kind of kind of gone full circle. I'm that, like, Maybe you should have said sophomore. There you go. <laughs> so you started all that. Yeah, I guess so. That, that's funny too that he thought that um, you weren't good enough for Iowa, but he's going to give you to the Indiana radio guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of how I got started in it, and I did made pizza money on the weekend, worked a few hours here and there, and. I guess what hit me early, Chris, was I got paid to go to games. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get paid a lot. You know, it's not lucrative. The hours are ridiculous. But you're in the entertainment business. You're around things I love. I love all sports and getting the chance to have access. And I like to say front row seat, you know, to keep stats or report then, on games. Pretty good gig, I thought. And then you can tell that story to people, which is another passion of yours. It is. You know, I, I think um, – you know, kind of have a little knack for that. And I definitely enjoy doing it. I I think people are always very interested in the people I work with. Okay. So you went to Iowa. Um, You, you were a long time SID at Iowa with Lute Olson, right? Started with Lute. And then um, actually I was a student when Lute was there. Um, And then uh, Raveling came in and I was, I I, I traveled quite a bit with Raveling's teams. Love George. Great guy to work with. Well, you got some great stories about those two, I would bet. Oh, I I do. Yeah. I got, I got one loot one I should probably tell. It's kind of a funny one. So first ever road trip I I made was to Purdue. I figured out early that Lafayette must not have been the garden spot of the Big Ten because that was the first three trips I made (laughs) was to Lafayette. But we, we went to play Purdue. Katie was the coach. We played the game. Iowa got beat. Um, Lute was in the locker room talking to the team. I was scared to death. I did not think I should go in the locker room. I wasn't quite sure what to do. So I was told to make sure I had a box score. So I'm standing out in the hallway. I can hear Lute yelling at him. I got the box score. Lute comes out and my job is to walk him to the press conference, which I knew the path. So I was good there. Mm -hmm. He comes out and he goes, you got a box score. And I handed him the box score. Yes, coach. And he goes, you okay? He goes, you look like you're, you're sick. And I go, no, I'm okay. And he goes, hey, he goes, you want a lifesaver? Reaches in his pocket. And he goes, I think I got butter rum. <laughs> and that was my. Uh, that was my, the introduction to Lou Olson. That was my introduction to Lou Olson. I got a butter rum lifesaver out of it and uh, made it to the press conference and got him back and everything was fine. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was a pretty scary debut there with, with Lou. So you're, you're in Iowa. Um, you're at Wisconsin for a while with Barry Alvarez. That's where you meet Jamie. Right. The Iowa to Iowa State thing is always really interesting. I did that 
is a fan. Right. Long time season ticket holder at Iowa, came here. What was that transition? It, it, is that a transition for like a fan like I was? Right. It, like, it was like, oh, I got to get a different wardrobe. For you, it's professional. But what, what was that like? Probably not as dramatic as people think. I'll, I'll go back to when I was at Iowa before I went to Wisconsin. I did a lot of work with the wrestling team. Mm-hmm. And Mark Johnson was Gable's assistant coach at the time. Mark had left to go to the University of Illinois as the head coach. And so I'm weighing, do I want to go to Wisconsin? And, uh, and Mark ended up calling me and he goes, Steve, it won't take you long at all. When you see that first check, which is more than the one you're getting now, you will very quickly become a Badger. And, and that ended up being um, something I understood. And so when I made the switch from Wisconsin to here, same thing. I mean, I, it's, it's a job. Mm-hmm. And at, at that point you treat it as a job and this was an opportunity. I wanted to come here and try to help this place become more relevant. And I think we've largely done that. And the fact I worked at Iowa, really the impact was, was that I'm from the state. I'm familiar with the state. When I showed up here, I had relationships with a number of the media, especially at that time. Cause there were some, some guys that have been at it a long time, mm-hmm. you know, the Watoskis and Rick Brown and some people that, I was familiar with, and that helped the transition. Certainly I had credibility in the state. Yeah. And I think that helped us some that I just wasn't some guy that showed up from Delaware or Florida or whatever. Tell me about working uh, beside Barry Alvarez. He, he just, he seems like a Titan of a personality, huge personality. Um, Barry, I, I, I guess I'm forever indebted to him because he believed in me before I believed in me. Um, I was 28 years old. I was, I was working at, at my alma mater. Um, he became the head football coach at Wisconsin. Um, the SID retired. The number two guy in that office went to work for the hockey association that Wisconsin was a member of. And so he needed an SID and I'm 28 years old and I get a big 10 SID gig. And when I went to my first big 10 meetings, it hit me. There wasn't a person in the room on, under 40. I'm 28 and I look like I'm 21 or 18. So I got a, I got a really early start. Were you accepted? Um, I was, you know, and I think I earned it just by hard, hard work. And yeah. I, and I, I listened to people. I really got along with the guy at Ohio state at the time. Steve snap was his name. And, um, he kind of took me under his wing. Some that kind of gave me some credibility, I thought, but, um, I think I, I quickly earned that just through, through hard work. I got the opportunity because Wisconsin wasn't any good. We were bad then. Mm-hmm. And so I got in on the, on the ground floor and, and got a chance to make mistakes without too many people knowing about them because nobody cared about us at that time. Our yeah. program was bad, but Barry was that guy that, that gave me a shot. He saw something in me from when we were together at Iowa, forever grateful for it. Um, you hit a Titan of a personality. I mean, hall of famer, a uh, great guy to work with, uh, very supportive of you, did what I needed them to do. Um, he had, we had, I guess one, you know, early on, you know, he just really, after the first year said, I need you to have confidence in yourself. You know, you don't carry yourself uh, with the confidence I need. And when Barry walks in a room, you knew Barry walked in the room, chest sticking out. I mean, that's what yeah. he is. Yeah. That's not who I am naturally. And so he gave me that boost of, you know what you're doing. You got this, you know, move forward, carry yourself like, like this, like this program deserves. And he gave me a, you know, kind of a bump in that area. And you know, I, I can't say enough good things about coach. He, he gave me a shot when I came here. That was the hard part. You know, I got a guy that gave me a job at 28 years old that I probably shouldn't have had. And, uh, it was hard to leave that. So 
when you left Wisconsin, were you still the football SID? What was your actual position there when you came here? Right. I had given up football that, at that point. That's what I thought. Yeah. Okay. I, I had been a football SID from, from Barry's first year, and then I kind of had enough. I just I didn't want to do it anymore. I was tired of going to practice and arguing about that newspaper. Got more time with a quarterback than that one. And it just I kind of was ready for a change. Peck was looking at getting out of the profession totally was looking at some other options and then um about that time uh pat richter retired as our athletics director alvarez became the ad and coach at the same time that's when jamie got elevated to deputy athletics director at wisconsin and boom all of a sudden i was on senior staff i didn't um apply for it i didn't aspire for it i was going to be an sid that's what i was comfortable with i like doing stats so all of a sudden i'm on i'm on i'm given the opportunity of you've been moved to senior staff and i'm like okay well that's interesting and and i had the option of keeping football and i just kind of had enough of it i just we'd been to a bowl game i remember telling my dad how many rose bowl sweatsuits do i need i mean i i, I have a handful of them and my dad was third really, world problems right there, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was weird because, you know, my dad growing up as a sports writer, he just really said, boy, I, I think you're making a mistake giving up the football piece of it. That's who you are. That's your identity. Coach Alvarez, blah, blah, blah. And I said, dad, I just kind of tired of it. I don't want to go to practice. I don't want to have to go to practice every day anymore. Yeah. And so I moved into administration, right place, right time. And now all of a sudden I'm managing people, units, um, developing a much bigger picture than playing Michigan State in football Saturday and how many yards rushing does Anthony Davis need this week? Yeah, I've, I really respect sports information directors. Just you're, you're, a, you're a bit of a different breed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, the hard work and the, um, the attention to detail is... You're a grinder, Chris. Yeah. I mean, you're a grinder it, and no one thanks the SID. Yeah. I mean, you don't. You're, just, you're kind of taken, uh, taken for granted. They, um, when they're, when they don't get their job fulfilled, it's a real issue. Cause guess what? Then you don't have the, the data you need to talk about and write about our program. Um, but you're, you're a grinder and you're, you know, it's long hours, low pay and, and the people that do it, love it. I mean, and now too, with the social media aspect that is totally evolved. It's everything's changed dramatically. Yeah. I mean, there's no, not a unit in this department that's changed more than communication, in the last whatever 20 years or whatever number you want to put on it i mean it's dramatically different we're our own publishers through our various entities heck we had a tv network here for most of my tenure yeah that we could i mean it was ours we could put whatever on so it. what did you do to stay up i mean the whole old dog new tricks thing right like right you grew up a son of a sports writer for a newspaper like that there had to be a level of transition for you and you maybe didn't even like every aspect of it too, right? How did you stay up on everything to, to accept a guy like me, right? right? Because there's not, I, I know this and I've always been very grateful to you and Iowa state for this, um, that there's not a lot of programs at that time that would have let a guy like me in the door. Why, well, why did you, you seem very progressive at that time? Well, you go through phases. I mean, you just do. I think back to the first phase that I switched on was when we used to do media guides. And as an SID, that was your deal. That, that was your, this is, what I, this is what I do, this tangible document. And at that time, we would write it, and then we'd send it to the, to the printer, and you get proofs, and you got to edit the proof. I mean, that's 
you're dependent on, on, on a printer to do it for you. Well, then all of a sudden desktop publishing showed up and all of a sudden you're designing the page yourself. I got totally into that. I'm into graphics and fonts and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. I, and so I put a lot of effort into designing George and Phil, who I worked with at Iowa at that time, wouldn't touch that. So that became my, my, my baby. So that's one step I made in my involvement. You referenced when, when, uh, your ilk became around, I just was open-minded about it. You know, let's hear more about this. And then I'd, I'd ask myself, well, does this, does this help us any, you know, does this, does this help our brand? Does it strengthen our brand? And I sensed, yeah, it could, it would. And so I got more interested in it and then, you know, kind of give you an inch and see what you do with it. And, mm-hmm. But I just think you got to be open-minded. I mean, things, you have to adapt. I mean, if you aren't adapting, you're falling behind and you're going to lose quickly. And yeah. so you just got to be open to it. And then I think you just got to trust your instincts. I mean, not everything coming down the road, you say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all on board for that. I mean, you kind of, you got to trust your instincts. And um, I've tried to, in my career, and I think it's maybe a little bit of my secret sauce. Um, I've been... I'm into leadership. So coaches, ADs, they're leaders and I observe them. I'm totally into leadership. And and so I, I try to learn from them. I'm a more of a listener than a talker. I like to read. I've got a few peers in the profession that I bounce stuff off of and they bounce stuff off me. And so I just try to know a lot about a lot of stuff. And what's ended up happening is, is that I've just collected a lot of stuff in my head. And so when someone asks me a question, one of my colleagues, I can usually think of some that's happened in my career before that worked or didn't work. And so I can provide advice that way. Mm -hmm. And that was just by, I think, being a listener, not a talker, observing and and just really trying to see how pieces can fit together. And so that's being open-minded to change. I mean, that's kind of what it is. You're there. There's no, I, I like to say there's no manual communications. There's no manual. Mm -hmm. You just can't, everything's a different deal. And I don't handle communications the same way on every issue. I mean, I don't, sometimes you write a press release. Sometimes we don't sometimes, I mean, we're all over the map in that. And if you're trying to see where I'm trending, you're, there isn't any trend. I just look at the situation and what channels I have available. And I mean, it's different every time. Well, it's changed so much too. And, um, I'm, uh, I'm being a little bit presumptuous here. So tell me if I'm wrong. You're a behind-the-scenes guy. You're a listener, not a talker, to steal your what you just said. The Twitter world, and like that has to drive a guy like you crazy, doesn't it? Like, Because everybody has a mouthpiece. It's not just – because sports writers now, we're not just, we're not just um, reporting what happened. Like, because our audience really does – they watch the game. They don't really need to – they don't need us to tell them. Right. Like, it, it's – does that drive you crazy, or do you get it? Like, what? where do you fall there? A little of both. Um, <laughs> That's fair. What I, I think what I, what I like about Twitter, I guess, let's just use that one because that's the most prevalent one probably, is the customization. So I'm a Lakers fan. Mm-hmm. So I follow Lakers. I like the NBA, but I like the Lakers. So I can customize. I only want Lakers stuff. I don't really care about the Pistons. Mm-hmm. I just don't. And so the customization, I, I like. The immediacy of it, I like. I'm petrified over the fact that the big tech companies think that they can censor stuff. That is just makes my head explode. I don't get that. Mm -hmm. That really, that's that I'm struggling with that piece of it. And then the other part of it, I think, and I I just, I've I've got a good discipline. 
the comment sections can be incredibly tiring. You've got a lot of people who have all the answers, quote unquote, and are nowhere near reality, nowhere near reality. Mm -hmm. And that's frustrating because then other readers are consuming that, taking it as fact and it's so off base. That's just frustrating. There's a lot of misinformation. Oh, I've done that before. It's like, oh, I'm going to go stay at this hotel. And then this person leaves a bad review and I look for another one. I've, I'm yeah. guilty of that. I think it's human nature. You, and, that, and that is, that's, that's yeah. scary. The, you know, we use social a lot. I mean, it's a way you can get stuff out really quickly. You can control your message. There's short blurbs. I mean, it's, there's a lot of good things about it, but there's, there's bad too. I mean, there's just, it's, a, it's kind of a cesspool right now. Do you think that um, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly internalizing like the role of the media in 10 years from now? Because I, I think it's really easy for, you know, an organization like Iowa State Athletics or uh, your, the Lakers to be like, oh, we don't really need the media now. We can just put everything out on our own. Um, there's an aspect of that, though, that I think fans want to hear more unfiltered stuff at some time. Like, where, how do you think that that relationship works it out over the next decade? My problem is what's unfiltered. I mean, I don't know what's unfiltered anymore. I, it, I don't. Oh, think, that's a good point. Yeah. I mean, Who knows? I, I guess I go back to when I was young, and only your old, older audience will know this name. But when Walter Cronkite said it on CBS Evening News, that was the fact. I didn't think there was any bias then. Now I was probably a teenager then, so yeah. I'm not sure how much I knew. And now I, I don't think it's crazy to think there's biases. I mean, I, so what do you believe in? I mean, because yeah. you got media doesn't necessarily mean it's the truth necessarily. Yeah. I mean, there's people that are biased in the media too. So it kind of struck me, Chris, this will, I mean, I am, I've been open about it. So yeah, it, but, but I'm just saying, you know, there's no go to, this is true. Yeah, no, I, I get I it. Mean, and everybody kind of has like their own view of the truth too. Like the right. whole, it kind of struck me. This, this goes back a number of years. Um, Bob Greasy was doing um, games on ABC at the time. And I really liked Bob. Um, thought he was a true pro. And then all of a sudden his kid, Brian's playing at Michigan. And so I'm thinking, well, there is no way Bob Greasy can do a Michigan game because obviously there was a bias there. Well, guess what? He did do a Michigan game. And I'm going, can Bob really be, you know, totally unbiased calling his son's game? And I, I was a little uncomfortable with that. And I really like Bob. Mm -hmm. Well, then one year um, we were playing Stanford. This is when I was at Wisconsin. And Rodney Gilmore was doing the game, and he shows up to talk to our two coordinators and Coach Alvarez wearing his Stanford letter winner's ring. Well, what do you think they th our coaches thought about that? Is this guy going to Stanford's coach? I mean, and all of a sudden, that got applauded. We should have more of that. Mm -hmm. You know, we should have uh, Bones McKay talk about Phil Mickelson. And I'm going, is he a little biased here? And so it started, like, even through things like that, yeah. where you're just kind of going, gosh, I don't know that this sits well in my stomach. I'm not sure I agree with this. And... And, you know, now we're full-fledged. I mean, it's, I mean, there's, there are good journalists who are honest and fair and balanced, and there's a lot that aren't. And so, what do you believe? Yeah. And it's in the eyes of the beholders. Well, to, once you're retired, we should sit down and do a series of podcasts on the media. That'd be an, <laughs> that'd be an interesting one. I think yeah. we should. Yeah. That'd be, I have, I have so many questions. I think that'd be fun. <laughs> we, we should probably get back to your career, but... <laughs> Uh, okay, I, I've always been fascinated about your wife, Barb, and another sports information director. That's a lot of data in one family. Like when you, what, what, 
first of all, tell me about how you guys met. Okay. And then, then I want to ask like, what's a, what's dinner like? Are we talking about like three point percentages? Right. Or? Right. So she was, she was at Illinois. Illinois. She was okay. an assistant SID at Illinois. I was the head SID at Wisconsin. We went down to Champaign to play. Uh, Ron Dane ran for about a billion yards. Um, she, her job was to escort the other team's SID to the media room. So she escorted me down there and she kind of caught my eye a little bit. Made your move. I like it. No, not, not yet. <laughs> not at that point. Our radio guy at Wisconsin, I, we were talking about her and he said, well, you ought to ask her out. And I'm like, uh, no, I'm not doing that. So some at big 10 meetings, one time I made some comment about, yeah, we ought to get together and play golf sometime. Cause I knew she golfed. And I that liked, was your in. And I like to golf. Okay. So this would have been on Halloween. I don't even know what year. We neither team played on Halloween. So I drove to Champaign and we played played golf. Uh, after the week, I just said, "Hey, we ought to get together and do this again sometime." And apparently, she was scared and said, "I'm the basketball SID. I'm tied up for the next four months. Call me in the spring," which was a sweet way of saying no. <laughs> And so, as it turned out, we remained friends. And then the funny part of this was we started dating. And I, I'll just tell, share the story because it's kind of funny. So, this is the year that Dane won the Heisman. We won the Rose Bowl. Um, I had to go on the um, honor circuit with Dane. We had to go to the Heisman Trophy. We had to go to the event in, in um, Orlando for the TV show. And so, Barb and I are dating. And so, I... They're playing, Illinois is playing Missouri at the United Center in Chicago. So I'm going to go see her in Chicago. So I stop, I go to the game, the basketball game. She sets me on press row. Well, the NBC affiliate in Madison is running highlights of that game because it was a big game in college basketball that week. And, mm -hmm. he's, and he sees me on the, on the, at the scores table. He's like, what the heck are you doing at the Illinois-Missouri game in, in Chicago? And I'm like, oh, you know, I got a, I got a cheaper flight. You know, I got to fly with Dane. And, you know, I got a cheaper flight. I'm meeting him in Orlando, blah, 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 blah. Well, when I went to the game, too, the Illinois media sees me there. And they know me from the Big Ten. And, and they're like, hey, what's the Wisconsin SID doing here? And Barb's like, oh, he's just, uh, he has to meet Ron Dane in Orlando on his cheaper flight and blah, 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 blah. So I go to Orlando, I go to the Heisman, I come back home, I got to get my car. Mm -hmm. my, my, my car is in, in Chicago, so, or, or I don't know where my car was. I end up back in Champaign again, and they're playing Eastern Illinois in basketball. Oh, no. I go to the, I go to the game again. <laughs> of course. What's the Wisconsin SID doing at the Eastern Illinois basketball and game? you're caught. And so Barb's like, okay, we're dating. <laughs> So the media outed our relationship and it That's, didn't stay quiet very much longer. And we, it's very fitting. It really is. Yeah. I mean, so Barb um, actually was Lon Kruger's um, PR person mm -hmm. um, at Illinois. Uh, she ended up becoming the director and then we got engaged. So she was the director for like, I don't know, four months or something like that. And then she ended up uh, deciding that um, we were going to get married instead. And I had her job. So she left the profession and got into corporate communications. We have promised our son will not be an SID. <laughs> that, that has been eliminated. I've said that about my daughters. No way you're getting into journalism. Yeah, but it was, uh, yeah, it was one of those we, she, to this day, she remembers that first game. Ron Dane for 11 yards. Ron Dane for 16 yards. And uh, I guess she... She's still like me, even though Ron ran it uh, up and down the field on him that day. I've heard you talk about him before, but I, 
I, I've always been a great admirer of Lon Kruger. I, he's one of my all-time favorite sports, um, not coaches, just personalities, just in general. Is he as great in person as he comes off at, Be- professionally? Yeah, better. I mean, he's an all-timer. Um, wrote me a congratulations card of my retirement, sitting on the table at home, actually. <laughs> Just saw it last week. Um, super nice guy. Whenever um, Oklahoma would come up here to play, we'd, we'd get together, you know, before the game and have a nice visit. Saw Kevin Kruger playing in high school when Barb and I were dating. He was playing in high school at Ankeny Centennial. I'm sorry, not Ankeny. Um, Champaign Centennial High yep. School. And um, have remained close to them. When Barb and I got married in Florida, Lon, Lon came to the wedding uh, with his wife, Barb. Um, great man, great coach, super person. Um, yeah, he, he's one of the one of the gems in, in, that this league has had and, and uh, has made a huge impact in college athletics. And you're, you're still close with Ron Dane too, right? I am. You yeah. mentioned him a yep. couple of times here. Yeah, Ron and, Ron and I were tight. Um, Ron and I had a good relationship after our, 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 our first bump. Um, I guess two things I'd say about Ron. They're kind of interesting stories. First time um, he was a freshman, and Alvarez said, I need you to talk to these, to Ron and Aaron Gibson, who was our 380-pound right tackle, about media day. And so I went and talked to the both of them, Gibson was very outgoing, came from a family of entertainers. Ron didn't say a word. And so Alvarez asked me at dinner that night, hey, how'd your talk go with Ronnie and, and Gibby? And I said, can Ron talk? And he goes, what do you mean? I go, he didn't say a word. So Ron was a very reluctant guy with the media. I mean, he just, he, he's just quiet. He's a quiet guy. So senior year, this is the year he won the Heisman. I said to him, I go, Ron, I need a little from you, okay? I'll protect you as best I can. We're going to do gang interviews. I won't do a lot of one-on-one stuff unless I just really have to. I'll cut stuff off, you know, as best I can when we've taken enough questions in. And, but I said, I need your help. And I said, okay, so one of the things I want to do is I want to do a, I want to do a conference call here before the season gets started. I had probably 30 of the biggest names in college football, um, newspaper writers, um, on the call. Thing is going to start at one o'clock. So I got them all lined up. It's quarter to one. It's 10 to one. It's five to one. It's five after one. It's 10 after one. There's no Ron. And I'm like, what in the heck? He like stiffed me. So I apologized to everybody on the call. I mean, I feel like I'm an inch tall. I'm so upset. And so I went and tracked him down. I went to his, um, to his dorm room and uh, I knocked on the door. He comes to the door, and I write him the riot act. I said, let me tell you something. I've been in this profession a long time, and I got a good reputation. And I said, and you damaged it immensely today. I will not put up with this again. We are done if you don't get your act together. I told you I'd, I'd do the best I could, but I need a little from you. And that was embarrassing for me as well as you. Came back, and I was Barry asked me about it. And I said, I just read Ron the riot act. He'll either... Um, He'll either transfer <laughs> or you're going to need a new PR person. And um, I never had one problem with Ron Dane after that. And we are extremely good friends. He's, he told me at a reunion a year ago, he just said that that conversation impacted me like you, like you, I mean, wow, you'd never know. And I said, well, it was a gutsy move, but I was so upset about my, about my reputation being, being harmed because I'm trying to help you. Yeah. And uh, it ended up being a successful campaign, um, and uh, obviously he won it. It was a lot of fun. He's a good guy. He's just he's a quiet guy. I mean, that's why I kind of, you know, it's interesting in your profession. Some guys are, are very outgoing. They like the media. They want to do the stuff, and others are shy. They're not, 
they just would prefer to, you know, uh, be by themselves. I mean, we had a game in Hawaii. Ron ran for 338 yards. Massive deadline for the media. Oh, yeah. I can't find Ron. I mean, I'm trying to get him out there before he takes a shower. And he goes, I didn't do anything today. And I go, Ron, you just ran for 300 and some <laughs> yards. Like, I mean, it's, you know. Such a unique player, too. Like, we really, yeah. yep. we haven't really seen anybody like. Not he's kind of one of a kind, right? I mean, yeah. even before him, like, he. Well, he was a fullback, and we played him at tailback. Yeah. And he was I mean, so he was athletic. Very nifty feet. Yeah, he was a, he was a great player. And, and a good guy. It's just that he didn't want to tell a story. And that's that's cool. That's life. Okay, so you're you're there when Alvarez turns Wisconsin from nothing into the Rose Bowl winning Heisman yep. Trophy winning program that we all know. Um, you've been here from the end of the McCartney years until last year when Iowa State wins the Fiesta Bowl. I I'll be honest, I never thought I would see that day. And I think the best is yet to come. Are there similarities? Like sure. You, can, can you enlighten our audience on some of the things you're seeing here compared well, to there? Well, absolutely. And I'm going to take it one step further, too. One of my um, colleagues on senior staff, Frank Nogle, made a comment when I announced my retirement. He goes, Steve, the three schools you've worked at all were struggling in football when you got there. And every one of them became a championship program because I was at Iowa. Yeah. You know, Hayden's first year. That mm-hmm. was my freshman year. Wisconsin, we had, you know, we were terrible. We won one game the first year and, and uh, we've had a hard time solving the, the Rubik's Cube and for Iowa State football. And so, um, yeah, a lot of similarities. Uh, one of the things I think that, that feels the same to me is a program starts to kind of expect to lose. It just, that's kind of, kind of in the in the in uh, i mean it's just part of the makeup part of the dna um i sense that even in the fan bases sometimes the fans you know as soon as a play goes wrong in the third quarter oh here we go again. oh i'm guilty yeah i mean i see it all the time and yeah. and so it's incredibly hard to flip the switch on that and it takes a special leader and um the the coaches at those three schools that i just referenced are well two of them are in the hall of fame right now and the other one is the guy here in Ames, and he's taken a, a, a good first step. Um, you know, and, and Matt, and you know his his script will be written in the years to come. But there's a common thread there, and it's that person, it's that guy that sets the table mm-hmm. and keeps everybody on the straight and narrow, and doesn't cut corners and stays true to himself. And um, Matt exhibits a, a lot of those. Um, a, a lot of those uh, elements that I think I saw both in, in, in Hayden and, and in Barry, probably more Barry, really. Um, the difference with Barry and him, Barry, Barry was the guy, like I said, when he walked in the room, you knew it was, I mean, he, he had a big presence. Yeah. And Matt's Matt's football coach. I mean, he's, he's no a football doubt. coach. That's where, where it's at. What I like about, what I like about Matt, and it'll be interesting to see you say bigger things ahead. It's hard when all of a sudden now the target's on you. We're not sneaking up on anybody. No now. doubt. No doubt. And so that's different. And and you got to be able to adapt to that. The players do, but the players will based on how you go about it. One thing I like about Matt's background is Mount Union. Mm-hmm. Mount Union, there isn't a program in Division Two that likes Mount Union. They hate them. Yeah. Because they win all the time. Yeah. And so every year, Mount Union was the program that everybody shot at. They're like that, North Dakota State. That's what it is. Yeah. And so I don't know what the solution is to deal with that and keep winning. Uh, Larry Karras, the coach that Matt played for and coached with, had that formula. 
And I'm assuming Matt paid attention to that. And so as we now have a bigger target on our chest than we ever have previously, I got to think Matt's got some knowledge about how to deal with that. Now, that doesn't mean we'll be successful and win every game, but at least he's, he's had to deal with that expectation because that's hard. I mean, it's, it's hard to have that target on you. And how do you keep, you know, how do you get up every week and how do you keep things steady and keep mm-hmm. progressing and not get caught up in maybe a stumble along the way where you, you only won by seven or whatever. And I just, I, I like that he's seen that formula because I, I got a sense he's got a pretty good way we're going to approach that as he builds into the future. Well, that was one of the topics that I wanted to get to at some point in this interview is, so now that, I mean, you've helped get Iowa State to this point, what like challenges do you foresee ahead here? Well, um, dealing with success. I mean, I think that's hard, Chris. I, I think that's really hard. Kids change, you know, so that that's a challenge. Um, I think another challenge going forward probably is just some of the things that are out there in college athletics right now. Yeah. How are, I mean, NIL gets a lot of pub. My guess is that'll settle in some way and we'll find a way to adapt. The immediate, immediately eligible transfer is a game changer. It's going to be hard to develop players because yeah. they don't want to be developed. They want to play right now. And now that they can go and, and play immediately, I think it's going to be really hard. How do you build a roster when all of a sudden in on July 6th, your starting right tackle decides they're going to transfer and be eligible immediately to go play at wherever? What's your backup plan? I mean, I just think roster management is going to be a real challenge. I will say this. I think a big key to last year's Fiesta Bowl success and, and, and Matt's success was there couldn't have been a, a, a coach in our conference that dealt better with COVID than him. Yeah, I agree. He didn't complain about it one time. There were other coaches out there, oh, we didn't get spring practice. Oh, we couldn't do this. Oh, we can't do that. Matt wasn't into that. Matt was into solutions. Matt didn't spend a lot of time complaining well, about what he didn't have. Even after the Louisiana game, I mean, we know now how daunting of a task that was for Iowa State with the COVID stuff the yeah. couple of weeks before that, leading up to it, practice time, all that. I just think he never heard anything about it. Right. I mean, he didn't talk about it. Right. I just think he's he's very adaptable and he's and he's just he's he's got he's kind of got it. And so as some of this stuff changes, like I say, with with immediate eligible transfers and how do you how do you massage your roster and and keep developing kids and keep them interested? I mean, I, one of the things I've been amazed at just looking at Matt's career, he finds a way to take guys and just give them a role, even if they lost the role that they thought they were going to have. I mean, he found ways to play Kane last year. Yeah, you know, he wasn't the starting tailback very often. He's doing great in minicamp right now, too, by the way. Good. Being a Vikings fan. Yeah. But he's, he's one of the standouts. So Excellent. It's I'm, great. We're both happy to hear that. Yeah. But my point is, you know, name your guy. I mean, we had a, I can't think, was it uh, Sean Brucker? Is that what his name was? That ended up playing fullback for us. I mean, a position switch, and all of a sudden you find a role for him. And Matt's done a real good job of that. I mean, I even think the one, like Johnny Lang last year, again. playing behind Brees. And when Johnny committed to Iowa State, I'm sure he had a bigger role in mind. But yep the end of the year and this is for real football geeks like me who right. watched the tape back three or four times but he was integral yep. and a lot of the like as far as like blocking and well, stuff Brock. like that i mean drill brock all of a sudden I mean, you got a hot shot that could go start yeah. probably a number of schools and yet you found a role all of a sudden he's kind of a third down back he's maybe a blocking back oh he got a couple carries and you know he just keeps him engaged finds ways to keep guys engaged and I, I think that'll help him you know as kids want immediate playing time because there's only so many slots out there, and and he does a good, really good job of massaging that. So when when you got here, 
well, let's face it, Iowa State was not a good football job. It just wasn't. Uh, right. I mean, I talked about this before a lot. I've never been more, um, I don't want to say disappointed, but just shocked, I guess, as a sports fan in my life. Then This is before I was really uh, too deep into my media career, but um, we were playing, um, we were right out here in the um, front. I was in the front row, and Iowa State was playing Missouri for a spot in the Big 12 championship game. And it was Thanksgiving weekend, and I there was like thirty five thousand people here. I think you guys reported like thirty eight, but I don't I don't actually think that there were that many people there. You it, counted you counted them. It was the there's no way. Um, it was the Brad Smith uh, Chase Daniel game. One of them, Brad Smith, got hurt, and Chase Daniel came in, and I I just was like, man, like how is this place not sold out? Like how how is this? And and now you look at it. To uh, I give Paul Rhodes a lot of credit. I think Paul and his personality got a lot of people engaged yep. at the right time. Was that 05? Was that the year before? Or 05 was no. Oh, 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 it was 04. Okay. Oh, 05 was the Kansas game where um, they had a big lead. Okay, I got to tell you a story about the Missouri game because this is funny. Okay. So Jamie's trying to hire me. So we sneak. Oh, you weren't here yet. Oh, yeah. You guys weren't here yet. That so, was before you. Okay. So we sneak into town. I didn't tell Coach Alvarez I was interviewing here or nothing. I mean, I, this got to be dead quiet. So we sneak into town. <laughs> we're, dri- we're driving around with a friend of mine in Ankeny, um, Beth Haig, who used to work in yeah, the athletics department I know here. Beth. Yeah, and, I took and, her classes. Okay, so Beth's showing me around Ankeny, my, my, my wife and I. And, and uh, so Jamie, that was a game at Missouri. So I remember when the quarterback got hurt and we thought, hey, we're going to we'll win this game. This is huge. And so Jamie said, I need to meet you Saturday night. Why don't you go to, you know, gate one and then I'll show you around the building. And so it's, you know, darkness and all this stuff. So I'm, I'm walking up to gate one and all of a sudden I hear a very familiar voice talking on the phone. It was McCarney. Oh, wow. Well, who's McCarney's best friend? Alvarez. So I'm like, oh, my gosh, oh, do, no. I, do I hide? What do I do? And so all of a sudden I'm standing there and he's like, Malch, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, hey, coach, how you doing? What are you doing here at nine o'clock at night? And I'm like, oh, tough loss today. He goes, ah, you know, we'll bounce back, blah, blah, you know, it's Mac. And I said, Mac, I'm not here, okay? Like, Barry doesn't know I'm here. You can't tell Barry I'm here. I'm, and he goes, what are you doing here? I go, he goes, you meeting Jamie tonight? And he goes, he told me he had somebody he was thinking of hiring. He goes, well, that'd be awesome. So I got outed by Mac That's after great. the Missouri game That's under great. the night of darkness or darkness of night. And oh my gosh. At, at gate one at camp or at uh, Jack Trice stadium. That is crazy. Yeah. Pretty funny. That is wild. Well, I see that's where like, um, my, you know, I wasn't around for Seneca's run and stuff like that. I got, I got here in Oh three which is a couple of years before you guys, but I, I just, that, that's Jack Trice stadium that day haunted me forever. Mm-hmm. Um, just, but now I look at it in the, the crowd support and you look at the stadium and how different it looks, how different everything looks around here. How much better of a football job is it? And I, and I also, this me editorializing, I'm sorry, this podcast about you, but I want to bounce it off of you. I mean, I just don't know how much like winning in the nineties, impacts recruits these days it used to be like oh tennessee offered nebraska offered right well everybody's on tv now right so like is the playing field leveled in that sense i know there are challenges here but is it easier to win here now sure and and i'll tell you one of the things i think that's a big deal is is that 
Matt Campbell has proved you can win here. Yeah. Matt Campbell knows the formula because he's done it now. And until you've done it, you just kind of wonder. You, you want to tell yourself you can, but you got to do it. And um, and he he's done it. I mean, to be able to tie for a title a year ago in the regular season and or um, I guess we I guess won yeah. the title yeah, in the regular season. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that proves you can do it, and I think that's a big thing. But yeah, I think what's happened in the '90s and all kids today—they're not into that. They're into, you know, what are the facilities? Can I win there? Can I get to the league there? You know, now we're getting guys in the league some, and that ends up selling more recruits. And good recruits want to play with other good recruits. So, I, you know, it's a it's it's a tough job, no question about it. And we wouldn't be here today. I'd mentioned McCarney. I, I just I got to throw another thing in there for him. The hole he walked into when he got here was massive. Yeah. And it took a special guy to pull him out of that hole. I mean, he did an amazing job. He was our coordinator at Wisconsin when he came here. And when he left, I was just like, wow, that is a big lift. And he did a lot of big lifting. And you should never forget that. I mean, I'll, he, he did a podcast with me and Bloom last year during the pandemic. And he was telling us about going to frat houses and like basically having dinner with them and giving him free tickets just to get him to come to the games. Well, if he claimed that as his own idea, it wasn't. Oh, we, really? We, we did the exact same thing at Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, he was doing it. Well, he, he I, took something from you guys. I, I, I kind of laughed because he probably brought that playbook. And what playbook do you think Jamie and I brought here? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I kind of laughed. Um, when when uh, when Jamie got hired here, you know, the stories were like, wow, well, yeah, he was at Wisconsin when they built, you know, returned or turned around football. And that's so awesome. And I'm laughing going, wait a minute. I'm the one that was there in 1990 when we won one game. By the time Jamie showed up, we'd already been to the Rose Bowl once. Oh, yeah. So I kind of laughed at that that narrative of, oh, yeah, Pollard was there when Wisconsin rebuilt themselves. And I'm like, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> not accurate. Well, you guys did do a lot, though. I, I think that the uh, tailgate tour was a really great idea. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think that we're seeing that now, the, the fruits of that labor. Well, we just had to change it up. I mean, they'd done golf outings for years and – um, I mentioned earlier, I'm a golf, I'm a golf fan. So I used to like those golf outings, but when you think about it, the head football coach plays with three guys, you know, the AD plays with three guys. That's not, that's not accomplishing anything. I mean, yeah. you make some level of money, but you're really not growing people. And so we decided to blow that up and do something different. And then we made the focus on the kids, you know, bring your kids there. We'll have the inflatables, have a hot dog and a hamburger, listen to the coaches talk pose for pictures with Cy, because guess what? We're hooking the kids. Yeah. And then that led to the growth in the Junior Cyclone Club. And that's fundamental to what we got going here, because those youngsters that we invested in when we got here are adults now. And we hope that their early connection to Iowa State will make them buy tickets and hopefully eventually donate to us. You've got to have that not whole gang that, you know, that the youth, I mean, they're the ones that direct mom, dad, can we go to the game again? I want to see Cy and get a, you know, clone cone. And, mm -hmm. and so we made that invest, uh, investment intentionally and it's paid huge dividends. I mean, it was a really good move. I didn't know it was that good when we did it. Yeah. It sounded good, yeah. but it went even better than we thought. You mentioned golf. Um, I wanted to congratulate you and your son Bryce on uh, winning the state championship. That, what was that like as a dad? That was pretty cool um, for Gilbert too. Shout out to the Gilbert yeah, Tigers. Yeah, Gilbert Tigers. Yeah, and the and the girls team finished second at state. Oh wow! Did they? Yeah. I didn't know that. That's great. Yeah, they did. It was an exciting year. They had a they had a good team. Jamie's son James was on the team too. Yep. So you got two guys that have been lifelong best friends, and as they were the two seniors on the team this year, and. 
you know, to win the whole thing. It was just very satisfying. You know how hard these kids work and, and they have aspirations and it was a, a great conclusion of the season. So happy for them. It's neat in a smaller community like Gilbert. I mean, mm-hmm. the pride of the city. They had a baseball game last week and they basically had a fire truck lead the team down in golf carts and they circled the, you know, the infield and I mean, it was like a parade. You know, and that's their championship parade. Yeah, it was kind of funny. I think the last thing I'd say, Bryce had, had always said people used to tease him. Well, you're not an athlete. You're a golfer. And I said, Bryce, you make golf cool at your school. <laughs> there you go. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's pretty neat. It was a fun thing to watch. And he's going to play in college, too, right? Yeah, he's going to go to uh, Nyack up in Mason City. Got a two year scholarship up there and see what how his game develops. And I said, play as long as you can. You got to take psychology somewhere. So you may as well go do it there and play golf for a couple of years and enjoy that experience. So we're happy for him. Um, put a lot of work into it as all the boys did on that team. And it was a fun year. So um, did you, you worked in golf for a little bit, right? I volunteered. Um, uh, I had, I'd worked um, at the Western Open in Chicago. Oh gosh, probably 15 years. I worked in the media area there. Had a friend that was the tournament okay. director. And then I also got hooked into the USGA and uh, I ended up working at four US Opens, um, similar role. I was on the 18th hole and walked the players to the press room and then lined up media with the players. So gotcha. Yeah. I kind of dabbled in a little bit in my spare time. Okay. So now Bryce is sticking around close to, does that mean you're going to be in Ames? For a while, like, will we will we still see you at Jack Trice Stadium and stuff like that? We're planning to stay here a couple of years. Um, my wife and I do like to play golf since that was our first date. <laughs> That's great. So at some point, we'll be moving south uh, where we can play year-round. But we're going to be here for a couple of years. And I got to see what Matt and TJ have in store here. I, I know what Fenley's going to have. He'll keep winning. I've seen that routine for about 25-plus yeah. years now. So yeah. I don't see that one changing. But um yeah we'll we'll be at some events um really excited for where kevin dresser is getting our, our wrestling program i mean we're on the edge of being able to do some neat things there and so we'll certainly follow I, follow I, things closely i did think about this though like because you you put in so much time here and you've seen so many ups and downs and just uh like the big 12 missile crisis and like there's so many there's so much stuff and then you're retiring right before Iowa State's going to be a preseason top 10 team. I'm like, what? what is it? couldn't you wait a year? Oh, the early retirement <laughs> incentive was this year only. Um, I concluded I didn't, I didn't see Matt going to a January 1 game and winning it as quickly as he did. And that happened, and that was kind of the cherry on the top of the Sunday for me. I, I just thought that was really, really neat. Um it kind of completed full circle for me because, like I said, that's been the the nut that's been hard for us to crack here. We've made gains, you know, we'd make some yeah. improvements and then fall back, and then this would happen and that would happen. And to see Matt get it to that level was very satisfying for those of us that have been through some tough seasons in football. Um, and so I'm ready to hand the baton to, to somebody else, but I'll be very involved. I just suspect you'll probably see me around some, and I'll be following very closely. Can I get a verbal commitment? Uh, you don't have to sign the letter of intent yet to do some media podcasts with me once you're a civilian. Um, I can <laughs> I can think through that a little bit. Okay. Um, yeah. That or I'm going to ask Barb one or two. <laughs> we can probably find some things to talk about there, I'm guessing. All right. Um, well, thanks for your time, man. This has been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed it. This is, I, I mean it, I'm not just buttering you up. I don't need to do that. You're on your way out. You've been a, 
good mentor for me, a guy I can bounce things off of and good and bad. So thank you. It's been a pleasure, Chris. Really appreciated your friendship. Um, over the years, been through a lot of things, been a lot of advice given both ways. I, I know you've always, you're hitting me up for professional advice and I'm making my complaints and you were always a willing listener too. So <laughs> it was a partnership in that regard and uh, I'll miss the day to day, but maybe we'll do a few things on the side. Well, I'll see you around. I promise. Sounds good. All right. Uh, he's Steve Mouchow, everybody. Um, blow up his Twitter. Tell him thank you for all of his uh contributions and uh, we'll make sure and tag him for you on the on the twitter feed and uh we'll be back with another podcast here in a couple days